Mike Tyson is a famous boxer from the 20th and 21st century. He did a lot of hurting people in the ring through professional boxing, but he also said some funny quotes along the way. He did some acting and he did some humorous things, and once before a, a boxing match, the interviewer was talking to him to sort of try to strike fear in Tyson. Like, hey, did you hear about the other fighter, about what he was going to do in this boxing match? His dancing in the ring, the lateral movement. You know, Tyson was saying that he heard reports about how he was going to do this and do that and win the fight. And then Mike Tyson replied with one of the most famous quotes of our generation when he said, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> what I appreciate about that quote is that it extends beyond boxing. Metaphorically, we can take that quote and apply it to marriage or children or work. Feeling like you got punched in the mouth is like when you get let go from a job. When someone you love dies. When you get a negative report from the doctor. When the singleness prolongs. When you raise a kid in the Lord only for he or she to leave once they get to college. That's what it feels like to get punched in the mouth. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and no matter how, how smart you are, no matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how emotionally tough you are, there's going to be many points where you feel forsaken, like you feel abandoned by God. Psalm 22 answers the question, how do I respond to God when I feel abandoned by Him? We say, well, I feel forsaken by God, so he must not be good. We whisper this to ourselves, and we wonder about the goodness of God. If I feel forsaken by God, then why in the world would I keep going to church? If I feel like God's not blessing me, or not paying attention to me, then why obey him? We should trust God even when we feel forsaken by him. That's what the psalmist does. And last week we looked at the very first psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a, a wisdom psalm. It provides wisdom. It provides teaching on how to be happy in God's world. And that, that showed through consumption of God's world and, and, and keeping God's the right company. Psalm 22 is not a wisdom psalm so much. It's a, it's a lament. It's an individual lament. And when you think of the psalms, you think of Psalm 22. In fact, one-third of the psalms are lament. You will be hard-pressed to search all of Scripture to find more anguish and grief and more why God than Psalm 22. It's written by David, King David. Many of the Psalms were written by him. And he's probably running away from Saul or maybe Absalom at this point in his life. 
And, and just in the previous couple of Psalms, David is happy and celebrating and joyful. Now he feels a lot of anguish. Just goes to show that you could be doing well on Monday, but have a horrible week by Thursday. If you like linear points and logical step-by-step points, you know, that's what Colossians is about. That's what Philippians is about. But the Psalms don't work like that. They're kind of all over the place. Because we tend to be all over the place when we're in grief. Grief has multiple stages. We, we, maybe we're irrational or maybe we're illogical when we're suffering. That, that's kind of what we see in this psalm. And this psalm points to Jesus so clearly that some have called it the fifth gospel. One scholar said it's the psalm of the cross. You see crucifixion language all over this psalm. But before we get to Jesus and how it points to him, we have to go back and see how an ancient Israelite would have read and sung this psalm. This psalm was read and sung for hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And you have to see how this applies to you as well. And, and it's interconnected. It's sort of all over the place, right? So we can't, we can't go verse by verse and squeeze out every word. We, we have minutes, not months. But what we see, we see at least three themes in this psalm. We see David's lament, David's prayer, David's praise. That, that's the formula of responding to suffering. We lament, we pray, and we praise. So my goal this morning, my objective, is to teach us how to lament when you feel like you're forsaken by God. Verse 1, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? This is David writing, and he introduces the theme of forsaken by God, feeling abandoned by God. Sometimes we ask sort of why God questions. As one author said, you won't find a more why God question than this one in all of Scripture. Why are you so far from me? How come you've forsaken me? I've been praying. I feel nothing. I've been praying. Nothing is changing. Where are you? I love how David is addressing his feelings. Don't ignore your feelings. Give yourself permission to feel whatever you're feeling. Even if you're a guy, you have emotions and feelings too. Even if you're more of a thinker than a feeler, you have emotions and feelings too. Even if you're from a different generation, you have emotions and feelings too. Don't try to rush to quick fixes. Just give yourself permission to feel whatever it is. That's what, what, what David is doing. He's being blunt with God, bold with God. Verse 2, he says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. It's like I'm lamenting in the morning. I feel nothing. At night, I'm restless. I'm anxious. And I have this anguish at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. all day. And I've been praying. I feel nothing. We speak of God as Father. Any good parent, when they see their child in trouble, they, they sort of try to rush in to help. But God seems like he's not. What are you doing? 
what we see is God seems absent, but eventually we realize he's not. God has his prerogatives, his plans. There's something called divine delay. My timing and God's timing are rarely the same. And sometimes the anguish and the lament and feeling left in the dark is meant to help us continue to rely on God so that he can teach you something or help you to mature in godliness. So we don't get all of our why questions answered here, not in this life. So we continue to trust, but we, we lament. This is what David is doing right now. He's lamenting before God. Two questions I had before we started our summer psalm series was, what in the world is lament? And how do I do it? I had a general answer, right? If I would ask you that, a lot of you would sort of come up with something, and we, you would be in the ballpark, I'm sure. But I wanted specific answers to this. And Mark Rogop, a pastor in Indiana, had a deep family tragedy, as many of you have had, some of you, multiple times. And out of his family tragedy, he wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. And while reading this past week, he he talks about lament. This is how he defines lament. He says it's a, quote, a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. That's a lament. He says it's a prayer of pain that leads to trust. It's usually in response to two questions. Where are you, God? And if you love me, why in the world did this happen? And so he, he, in the book, he provides a four-step process for lament. He says to turn, complain, ask, trust. Turn, complain, ask, trust. In that, you, you, you turn. You turn to God in prayer. You don't try to do it all on your own, but you lean into God. So you, you turn to God. Then he says complain. Or maybe you prefer the word voice. This is where you voice your complaints, your, your injustices, the things that have bothered you or afflicted you. You voice them to God. It's just to ask, to specifically call upon God in a way that aligns with His character. And He says to trust. You affirm God's worthiness to be trusted and continue to praise Him. Prayer doesn't always change the circumstances but it often changes you. And, and when you lament, when you, when you turn to God and complain to God about your injustices, and you ask Him to move and deliver you and vindicate you, and then you continue to trust, this isn't a time to get it right. This isn't a time for polished prayers and professional prayers and, oh, how do I start the prayer? Do I say, um, do I have to thank God first? Do I do I need to adore Him? Our Father in Heaven? Do I need to start with the routine Lord's Prayer? This is all, just put all polish aside. All professionalism aside. There's no, there's none of that here. This is just being real with God, starting with what's on your heart, and going from there. For some of you who are very image conscious, you might transfer this into your prayer life. No, no, God, God loves you. He sees you. He already knows. You can't fool him. Don't try to trick him. Just, just be yourself and pour out your heart before the Lord. That's what it means to lament. It means to turn to God, to complain to God, 
to ask God for help and to continue to trust him. This is what Jesus does even throughout his earthly ministry. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus being fully God and fully man in his humanity, he felt pain and anguish and gr grief. And he took to, to God in lament. For some of us, we need to do some lamenting this week. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel awkward. Maybe something from childhood that happened that traumatize you and you haven't really prayed and expressed to God could be a prodigal son or daughter who hasn't come back to faith and you're worried about their salvation rightfully so someone who passed away and still haven't lamented their death or maybe they could pass away and it's really bothering you schedule some time in your calendar this week to lament before God if we don't lament when suffering strikes, we, we'll get negative, we'll get cynical. We'll have this sort of self-pity and woe is me and our hearts will be hardened. We might get bitter towards God and bitter towards the world. Or when other people suffer, we won't, we won't be able to be sympathetic because we haven't processed our own pain. Learning to lament will help you to be more sympathetic with others who suffer as well. It's never too late to lament. That's what David is doing. He's lamenting, but, but he continues in verse 3, and he calls to mind the holiness of God. And, and he's lamenting, and he's thinking about the past. He's like, in you, verse 4, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. He's thinking of the Israelites when they were rescued by God from Pharaoh. They were rescued from slavery. They went into the promised land. God outstretched his arm and displayed a miraculous act in this work of redemption. Did something amazing. And now the psalmist is saying, wait a minute, God, you were so faithful to everyone else, but not me. Look at all those good things you do for everyone else in church but you leave me hanging. He starts to think about his childhood and his mother, and he says, you were the one who took me from the womb. On you was I cast from birth. It's like saying, God, I was baptized in the church as a baby. I was dedicated to the Lord. You were there for me at birth, and yet now I feel like you've sort of left me hanging. He starts to talk about the feedback he's getting from people, criticism, and opponents, and hardship, and mockery. And he experiences so much opposition by the way of words that it starts to affect his identity. If you had an overbearing parent, overcritical spouse, or an ex that said lies to you, 
And if you hear this kind of stuff long enough, you start to, it starts to mess with you. That's what he says. He calls himself a worm in verse 6. He calls himself a worm. He's like, maybe I'm a worm. Maybe I'm less than human. Maybe I'm really not created in the image of God. That, that would be like us saying, maybe I really am just good for nothing. Maybe I am just going to amount to nothing. Maybe I did really just make too many mistakes. That's what he means when he calls himself a worm. He's, he's doing this sort of self-deprecation, this derogatory attitudes towards himself. He's starting to believe lies because of all the suffering and hardship that he keeps praying, and God does not seem to answer. So he's reflecting, he's lamenting, and now he starts to get more specific. He, he starts to ask God for specific requests for deliverance. Verse 11, he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He mentions bulls and lions and oxen and dogs, and he's using this sort of metaphorical language to talk about his opponents. It's like the water is coming up, and it's close to his neck, and he can drown. It's like he's about to get jumped. He's, he's got all of these critics who hate him. And he's praying, God, do something before it's too late. And then he starts to feel physically, emotionally exhausted from this. Because of God's absence or God's forsakenness or because of the criticism and the hardships and difficulties, these bad memories, he, he starts to say that he feels like he's being poured out like water. Verse 14, he says, his, bo his bones are out of joint. His heart is like wax. His strength is dried up. This is a picture of a man who's defeated. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually drained. But he keeps praying anyway. He keeps asking God for bold deliverance, bold requests. In his prayer, he prays four things. One, be not far. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Save me. It's almost like he's demanding God. There's definitely a time for praying in the car, praying at church or praying before a meal, praying a two-second prayer here or there, praying in your mind, silent prayers. Those are very good prayers to pray. But when it comes to lamenting, um, this is something that on the low end, five to ten minutes, on the high end, just blocking out a whole day, space needs to be required to think about things and to pour our heart out before our Lord. This lament is a a grace, a, a gift that God has given us to help us through the trials of life. And if we don't lament and don't pray, what we communicate to God is, God, I'm trusting myself, not you. What we communicate is, God, I could just, I could handle this on my own. It's through that attitude that we start to say stuff like, God, you're not good. Maybe we're relying too much on our own strength and not enough on God's. That's what we see David doing 
in much of this psalm, lamenting before God and praying to God. It starts out really bad, really hard, tons of anguish. But that's not the end of the story. You notice that his attitude starts to change. We get to the last third of the psalm, and you notice that God has met with him and vindicated him. We don't know the answer. We don't know what happened. We don't know how. But you notice that his attitude changes, like in a lot of psalms. It starts out really bad. It seems like it's not going to get better. But after lamenting and praying, things get better. That's what we learn. Lamenting and praying helps. He says this. He says, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. That's a shift. Why, why the shift? Lament and prayer. Some of you say, oh, that would have happened anyway. That's not what the passage says. It says he lamented and prayed, and out of his lament and prayer, his attitude changed. He didn't wait for a change of circumstances to decide to rely on God. He just decided, I'm going to praise God even in the storm. He says, I'm going to do this in the midst of the congregation. That's like saying, I'm going to make sure I make church a priority, and no matter what's going on in my life, I want to praise God. If you can't do that, maybe we need to spend some time lamenting and praying. And if you have nothing in you to praise then keep coming and rely on the faith of others. Somehow just being around the people of God and others' faith, when our faith is low, when we have doubts and concerns and we feel God's absence, that's not going to be the, the reality of all of us. Some of us will be in a different season where we're experiencing blessing and a sense of God's presence and nearness, and it, it is you to carry the weak. It is you to help those who are struggling. And a lot of faith can build in your own personal life when you see the faith of others. Even if you can't praise God, keep praising, keep coming, and allow others to build you up. One writer says, he says, the most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. I totally get the desire to self-isolate, that when things are hard, like, I don't just, people at church just won't understand Nobody here is in my age group. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm going through something very specific. But here what the psalmist is doing is praising God. And for us it would be just allowing that one hour, one of 168 hours a week that you get to make being with the people of God a priority. To praise, to lament, to grieve. That's what happens with David. He, he not only prays and laments and continues to sing, but he, he actually invites others to do the same. Verse 23, he says, you, he, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. It seems like in verse 24 is where he's vindicated. Verse 24, for he has, that is God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried out to him. 
God has heard and has responded not on his timing. There's going to be delays and more prayers and more lamenting. And, but eventually, at some point, by the grace of God, God will break through and carry you and help you. Whether in this life or in the next. He says, verse 25, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. He not only sings to God, but encourages others to do the same. This is the man who sought the Lord, and the Lord has delivered him. Now he's saying, everyone else, come on, let's praise the God who's worthy. And then he, he not only has met with God, God has not only vindicated him, but he starts to look forward to the future. If you're a Christian, if you, if you have Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is God, you have a bright future. Even if the rest of your days here are really dark, heaven lasts forever. There's no more sin, no more Satan, no more sickness. That, that is something to rejoice in, to think about all my pain one day will be gone because of what Christ has done. And he points to, starting in verse 26, he says, he's thinking about the new heavens and the new earth. And when God will finally send Jesus to come back, he says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek God will praise God. That God is king and he rules over all the nations. That even the wicked will bow down to him. He's saying even though stuff doesn't make sense right now all the time, one day, because of God's rule and reign, he will right every wrong. And even if things don't get better now, they will one day. And that is enough to have hope in and rely on. And that is only possible because of Christ and what Christ has done. I, as you learn to lament, I can't promise things will get better right away. They, they might get worse before they get better. But as you lament and as you pray, allow that to lead to praise. As you praise and worship God. This is a gift. And this bright future that we have is only possible because of Jesus because of his perfect life, that he lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve to die. And for those who trust in him, all sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and you get a right standing with God forever. This psalm so clearly points to Jesus in so many ways. David laments, but so did Jesus who himself wept and cried out to God. David suffered, but he was a sinner. Jesus suffered, but he never sinned. David is the king of Israel, but Jesus is the king of the world. The benefit that we get from David are his words in this song. The benefit that we get from Jesus is his finished work on the cross. David had opponents and critics who mocked him, Jesus was brutally treated and was mocked even on the cross. David says he feels as if his hands and feet have been pierced. Jesus was pierced in his hands and feet with a nail. The psalmist even predicts that Christ would come and his clothes would be divided and they would cast lots for them. David starts the psalm by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The exact same things that Jesus said on the cross. 
But did God really forsake Jesus completely? Did he really forsake David in this psalm? There's always a debate about that on Good Friday. Some people say, yes, Jesus was forsaken. Other people say, no, he was just quoting scripture. Which one is it? It's kind of in the middle. One, one leading Bible study says this. In some sense, Jesus had to be cut off from the favor of, and fellowship with the Father that he had been his eternally because he was bearing the sins of his people and therefore enduring God's wrath. He was experiencing God forsakenness, not for anything in himself, but for the salvation of others. The favor and fellowship with, that Jesus enjoyed with God the Father was not the same on the cross because he was bearing the sins of those who would believe in him. But of course God did not altogether forsake Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead a couple days later and now enjoys perfect fellowship with the Father. Same with David. When David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't forsake him. He's just saying, I, I feel like this. But God eventually vindicated him. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, 1. Why? As one seminary professor said, he was showing himself to be the quintessential innocent sufferer. Jesus was trying to say on the cross, Psalm 22 points to me. I am the ultimate innocent sufferer. Because of what I have done on this cross, as I finish this work on the cross in these last couple of hours, for those who believe in me, one day, all of their suffering will end too. Psalm 22 ultimately points us to Jesus. And if you trust in him, one day, all lament will cease. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord, teach us how to lament. Teach us how to pray. We're not sure how to lament. We're not sure how to pray all the time. Lord, help us to clear time in our schedule this week, this month, next month, and draw to mind things that we need to lament by turning to you in prayer, by voicing our complaints and injustices and things that are bothering us, by asking for a specific deliverance, by continuing to trust you. Lord, may we never be so cool or above lamenting. May we never think we're better than Christ who himself lamented. May we tap into our emotions and seek to seek you. And God, I just want to pray for those who are in grief right now. Lord, please deliver them. Please vindicate them on your timing. Oh God, help us. We are weak. You are strong. In Jesus' precious name, amen.